Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of the Cinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and we are returning from our very nice and relaxing and lengthy and enjoyable and still somehow busy hiatus to discuss the winter 2023 films that made us. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The three films we're going to focus on today, number one is Knock at the Cabin, number two is Magic Mike's Last Dance, and number three is the latest entry in the MCU, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. Joining me today, as always, I'm so thrilled to be sitting across the table from my co-host, Leron Chapman. He, he took a break and he still came back. <laughs> He's an award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker here. He does all the things, dead center movies, all the things. Leron, welcome back, man. It is always great to be here, sir. Happy to be here. Oh, well, it's I'm, I'm privileged. I'm just as privileged to be looking at the most impressive beard I know on the planet. I'm speaking, of course, of the one, the <laughs> only, Daniel Bokemper. He's also a damn good writer over here at thecinematropolis.com and Flick Attack and many other places on the web. Daniel, I'm also very thrilled that you decided to come back to the Cinematics Command today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Caleb, for all those kind words. Uh, I made it back safely from the quantum realm. Didn't do a number on my beard. Actually, I think the uh, amoebas that were eight feet tall enhanced it a little mm. bit. Got it a new sheen. Did you come back with some extra holes? Uh, I'll talk to you about that. I'm waiting for some things for my physician to come back. <laughs> if you say more than seven, there's a problem. <laughs> well, gentlemen, it's been too long. I, I realized after taking a break that I miss talking movies with you all. It's been it's Aww. been a great break. It's been great to recharge and focus on other things, uh, you know, planning weddings and, and whatnot. Laurent's over here making movies and Daniel's over here sharpening those writing skills and doing all the things out there. So it's good that we can all be back at the table today. Now, ladies and gentlemen, before we get into today's uh, series of reviews, I wanted to note that if you're listening to the show for the first time and you enjoyed the show, you can help us out by leaving us a rating and a review. If you missed us. That's right. If you were, we were gone for six weeks and you missed us, you could also help us out by heading on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leaving us a rating and review there. Let us know what you think of the show, specifically about what you like about the conversation. Also, maybe if you violently disagree with any of our opinions here uh, at this table, let us know via that review. Uh, you can also send any of that feedback or fiery, passionate disagreements to thecinematropolis at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, the listener, uh, and you might even have a chance to be read on the show. That said, we're going to start things as we always do with our icebreaker question. And the reason we took a break was in terms of major releases, it was quieter. Now, that's not to say there are not sleeper hits. There are several smaller films that, that come out in this time frame. So I wanted to hear from you all. Uh, January and February, not known for having big hits, big major releases. But there are some that I think we should know. So what is your favorite sleeper film to come out in the winter doldrums that have released in January or February? So as of recently, um, two films that I wanted to point out for people who may not have seen them because they kind of they kind of came out in limited release um, or just on streaming services and they should have gone to theaters. Um, uh, Kevin, Kevin Williamson's um, Sick. Um, you know, I'm a Scream-a-thon fanatic, as you know. And I've been sitting on, waiting on this, the release of this film for, I mean, I don't know how long he's been teasing it out on the internet. And I'm like, when are we getting it? You know, it's a pandemic era, you know, uh, horror film. And so I, I went into it with kind of, you know, 
you know, a little trepidation and left it feeling very energized by just how lean and mean it is. Um, and it's just a really good time. Um, it's nece- it's really just a 90-minute chase scene, you know, and I live for, you know, that kind of kinetic energy. And so um, just whip smart and, and pretty sharp, you know. It's definitely light on the Kevin Williamson self-referential scream kind of that thing. But I actually didn't miss it so much. I thought it worked really well just as being, you know, um, it's like your fears that we had when we were during the pandemic where we're all stuck in our homes and we can't go anywhere. We're relegated to the four walls and we're scared to go anywhere else. And just the sinister idea of what would happen if like somebody decided to rob us right now? Cause they know we're all at home. Mm-hmm. There's, there's the, you know what I mean? Like they could, they, you know, cause it, yeah, sick is set like an April of 2020, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's after not very long after things have shut down. We were still Lysoling our cereal. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, you're still was, wiping down your groceries with the, the wipe. Yeah. Cause we didn't know it was a uh, transmitted via um, like the air, for example. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it plays to that really well, but it really is just a chase scene a, 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 two smart female heroines, you know, outrunning or out, outwitting, you know, um, one or two, maybe three, who knows how many, you know, um, assailants. So who's to say, uh, yeah, Lauren, that's a great recommendation. That's on Peacock. I, I did have to subscribe to Peacock to watch it, unfortunately. Um, uh, but, uh, I, I watched that one. It was fun. I do have some qualms with the end. We're not going to talk about them on this show. Sure. Um, but really smart, really fun. Like you said, it's basically scream without, all the meta pop culture references yeah. replace those with pandemic references, like yeah. pandemic settings. It, it's also very eerie because the uh, opening displays like on screen text about setting the scene for the pandemic, but mm. it felt like one of those like old sci fi movies where they're like, the world was burned to the ground mm. and the last <laughs> survivors, the yeah. year 2020, you know, something like that. Um, it was kind of a, a nice touch. So, um, and the other thing I'll just note real quickly, um, the Oscar nominations came out recently um, in, at the end of January, and um, there were some surprises in Best Actress, um, one of them being uh, Andrea Riseborough, a character actress I've loved for a really long time, um, who's been doing work for a long time, but just has kind of gone under the radar, or people don't realize they've seen her because she's such a chameleon of an actress. She plays, she disappears into all the characters she plays, and she got a surprise nomination, kind of besting Viola Davis and Daniel yeah, controversially Devin. got a yeah. nomination. I would say, and I mean, I don't, uh, I don't have a dog in the fight, but it, sure. it was like, hey, she made a movie no one heard of except for the academy. People in the academy exactly. had heard of it. So. It made a whopping twenty-seven thousand dollars, which is just maybe five thousand less than what you have to make to qualify to be even be nominated. So it's just skin by the skin of its teeth got in and. Um, and the reason I bring it up is I was obviously a little bitter on on Oscar nomination day because two people that I really wanted in that lineup, two African-American women who I thought did exceptional work this year were, were you know, kind of, you know, uh, didn't make it inside. And they were all but locks all season. Um, but then I went and saw the movie, gave it a fair chance and was immediately reminded of how great of an actress Andrea Riseborough is and how great she is in that particular movie. And that movie's probably, it's a win for independent film because there are people who would have never watched that movie otherwise who now want to know who's this, what's this random movie that just got squeaked in here, you know, um, that again. And so I saw it. It was very heartfelt. What's that remind, what's the name of it again? To Leslie. And it's about a um, alcoholic mother down on her luck. That's kind of it's a it's a redemption story, a typical kind of indie redemption story, but with a lot more depth than you would than you would expect from that kind of film. So 
All right. Well, to Leslie. Yeah. To Leslie. Yeah. Cheers. To Cheers Leslie. to Leslie. Cheers to Leslie. And uh, Lauren, did you see that? How did you watch that? Was it VOD? Was VOD, it? Okay, yeah. Okay, okay. VOD. So it is available for people to rent. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, we, we're going to do an Oscars show as we do every year on this podcast coming soon. Uh, more on that at the end of the show. But, uh, you know, the Academy is generally getting less and less relevant to the mainstream. I think this year is actually a huge course correction in that uh, way. We can talk about that on a different show, but they're definitely nominated films that people have actually seen. (laughs) And I say people, I mean, not cinephiles, not industry people. Mainstream, Top Gun got nominated for a bunch of stuff. Elvis got nominated for a bunch of stuff. Avatar. Um, so movies that I that like mainstream people actually loved got nominated for for a considerable number of films or excuse me nominated for a considerable number of categories. When a film gets nominated, especially if it wins an award, mm-hmm. it really does get more eyes on it than it would if it w- wasn't nominated. So when people say ah the Academy doesn't really matter, I'm like well yeah they 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 don't for the reasons that I think they might say they do but I think just the, the simple fact of like getting movies more visibility by being nominated it is definitely creates a platform for sure mm-hmm. for small movies movies like Moonlight again yes. winning best picture like there's a lot of people who would never have watched that movie never even heard of it and it was I think the lowest budgeted of the ones that were there you know so it, it was the lowest budgeted best picture winner of all time at the time at yep. least so um all right well great suggestions Laron Chapman Daniel Bokemper yeah, so I likewise have two. I wasn't particularly blown away beyond something we already discussed, Megan, in our uh, one of our previous podcasts. But um, Skinamarink is one I, I was able to catch. Not um, it was showing in a very limited release, um, but then it, did it, you watch it at home? I did on Shutter and uh, at, at one a.m. with all your lights out, right? No, it might else. have been like ten thirty. Okay, with a nightlight. Were you by yourself? <laughs> Yes. Oh, good. All right. Now we're talking. But um, I did have a body pillow. I was cuddling. And <laughs> I, I I will say it's it, it's trying to end. Of course, why Caleb is asking those questions, if you haven't heard Skinner Rink, is really trying to emulate the fear of the dark and being a child and being lost in your house and not being able to, you know, when it's pitch black, there's a lot of ineffable stuff. Um, and you let your mind wander. And while I know the film definitely has some flaws and and one of the recurring things I hear is it feels way too long. And for a film that's already only 90 minutes to feel too long um, is, you know, that's telling. But at the same time, with how much it does with so little, it was made for about $50,000. And there are, while sometimes it gets a little almost, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? You're, you're almost sedated by a lot of the static shots you see, but some of them are very, very, very um, increasingly terrifying, even though nothing is technically changing within the frame. Well, yeah, um, you're, but your mind is changing what you're looking at. Yeah. And it's an exercise where we're going to get, I think our first film actually will talk about uh, how valuable it is and how important it is to trust your audience a little bit. And <laughs> I think with with the, this film, it does that to an extent, but then it does, there are still jump scares in the movie. And like, I'm a little disappointed it couldn't, remove itself from, from that kind of thing a little mm. bit. They're not, they're not I would like, still say though, the, 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 uh, there are jump scares, but the, the, there are also a lot of like genuinely great. Scares yes. Yes. And, and the jump scares aren't egregious, right? They aren't like super egregious, but they're there. And it kind of, that kind of, you know, tempered me a little bit, but I still think it was very imaginative. I still think it's very cool. I would recommend people at least give it a shot once ideally in your home, very late at night, with, all the lights off, all the lights off. 
because you know the the ambiance of like your air mm. conditioning unit and your fr- your fridge making weird noises and whatever creaks and cracks you've got in your home that just like adds to the experience so much and you're not that one of the rare instances where you will not get that in a theater um necessarily so i don't know definitely worth checking out that skinamarink it is on shutter Great, yeah, great recommendation. I saw that one at the Oklahoma City, uh, excuse me, uh, the Oklahoma City Museum of Art at its last showing. A friend of the show, Chris Schultz, and coincidentally Zachary, also a friend of the show, Zachary Burns, both invited me <laughs> separately. We're like, "Hey, you want to go see this thing?" And I was like, "Well, guys, I guess I guess I'm going to this thing." And then we all we all met up there. But uh, I it was, was also on that text, but I did was unable to go, so uh-huh. I didn't get to experience it with you guys. But I did see the film. Subsequently, and you like and you like you like, I did like it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. It's uh again just to kind of set the expectation for listeners. It is definitely an experimental horror film mm-hmm. where it's mostly just like wide shots focused in on like corners. There's not a lot of moving that's happening. Yeah. Um. That I know that sounds that sounds weird and boring, but just trust us. Yeah. It's they they're really smart with how they use the the camera and mm-hmm. it's very it's a very what I love about experimental film when things aren't spelled out as they are in other movies again that we'll mention later yeah. um then it it allows the film to have a unique experience for you you know mm-hmm. what I mean like it won't like my experience with it is not going to be the same as Daniel's or yours you know like so um because I had a very different childhood and and I'm thinking of different memories you know what I mean so it triggers those things for you so that's what I love about this so much is that um, it evoked, like you said, that fear of being in the dark wherever I was at that particular mm. age at that time and what I was thinking at that time. So I was afraid of the dark when I was a kid too, for like a while, probably oh. longer than I should have been. So it, it definitely hits, uh, hits the buttons. I was <laughs> deathly afraid. Yeah. Deathly afraid. So that was, uh, that's going to rank. Thank great recommendation. It sounds like uh, we're all fans here to varying degrees. Uh, Daniel, you said you had a second movie. I do. I kind of want to save it for the rapid fire, but I'll go ahead and mention it here a little bit. It's a film that I was I, very intrigued and poses very intriguing ideas, but I did not love it as much as I, I ultimately thought I would. And that's, um, of course, uh, Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool, um, which isn't really a sleeper hit. I think we all kind of knew about it. It was one of the, the larger. I would call it a sleeper. Because, because, but, yeah. but it wasn't getting the the fan. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't. I mean, I wouldn't say it's uh, like 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 the mainstream have mm. barely heard of that. Yeah. Knew that movie existed. And it came out like what a week or two after it premiered at Cannes, like like so it was it was pretty quick. Su- yeah. Sundance, Sundance, sorry. Yeah, and it was good to an extent. I know people who certainly loved it quite a bit more than I did, and at the same time, I do think it proposes very interesting ideas. You have a very particular. I mean, Mia Goth tends to steal the show, um, and she definitely does that here. Um, but at the same time, it's. It, we're falling into this thing of like, it kind of reminds me of men from Alex Garland where we have these male directors who are trying to dissect to some extent and infinity pool is not by any means just about this, but bringing up toxic masculinity and chauvinism and sexism and things like that. And like trying to like, they, they identify the issue, but they don't, I feel like dissect it in a particularly healthy way. And I don't think that's very productive anymore i think that would have been more impressive several years ago but like 20 years ago yeah 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 maybe you just like let yeah, women just mentioning like it decades. was a big deal back then yeah now we like well we know a lot about this now so what are you saying about exactly it? And, and so i think if you, you recognize the thing cool okay mm-hmm. but like what, like what what about it do we need to think about you it, know differently it, yes exactly and it's hard for me to separate men from infinity pool and it's got me like weirdly paranoid about Bo is afraid because i'm like oh here's another mm. you know male director who this is his third Film who's had two subsequently two very good films, both with Brandon Cronenberg, uh, 
same in Alex Garland between Ex Machina and um, Annihilation, not strictly horror, but horror adjacent. And uh, I don't know. I kind of think I'm like, I'm hoping Bo is afraid hits the mark. I suspect it will. Um, but that's all to say they're completely unrelated and the success and the intrigue of this film does not, you know, that's they're, they're not dependent on one another, but I was expecting quite a bit more. I still think it's cool. I think I would say it's, it's worth seeing. It's kind of the secret. <laughs> if you read my review on a flick attack of it, it's the, it's, and we talked about this, we all watched it together. And when we left, it was like the secret bonus episode of white Lotus that just goes <laughs> completely off the rails. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this is the prequel to white Lotus for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, to that end, if you are still uh, very much on your your um, an eat the rich kick, which I think twenty twenty two, especially Man. late twenty twenty two, awarded us. Yeah, you, so many. Yeah, you add this to the list because it it deserves to be among them. But um, to some extent, I think it's almost hurt by coming out after Triangle of Sadness, after mm-hmm. the menu, after Glass Onion, even. Um, it, it feels like it's almost it's not dragging technically. Like, well, the thing it, is, I mean, I, I mean, I would just say. I don't think it would have been a problem if it was a good movie. So, yeah, that's, yeah all, that's really harsh because uh, there's a it, lot to like about it, and there's a lot of that's great craft that's at play. I just the movie I did not feel like was actually making a strong statement about no. anything. It was saying it was like it was there's a lot of ideas, and it's like yeah. putting nods at a lot of different things. Sure, but none of there's not a cohesive I don't think like idea driving that movie. Yeah, I will say this, Possessor. Uh, his previous Brandon Cronenberg's previous film from, I believe 2020, 2021, maybe I think 2020 had all of the weirdness, had all of that, you yeah. know, the visual stimulation, but it, it did also had a really good story and a pretty compelling struggle at the heart of it. That was saying something yeah. and you don't really have that here. And so that's yeah. a little disappointing. I, I think because our lead here, um, his character is such a, like, Oh yeah. You can't, He's impenetrable. I was going to say you can't penetrate him. And I was like, can I say that? But they don't mean it this way. But yes, it's like, so you can't, um, yeah, you can't access him. And he's just, he's just, he gives you nothing. And so um, when the movie itself isn't saying much and he's not giving us thing even subtly, you know what I mean? I I, I feel at odds with what it's saying and what it's trying to do, Uh, even though it visually, I think there's a lot of vision. It looks great. I mean, there's oh a, the, the 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 film the craft the filmmaking yeah. is it's a just plus. the story is just there's not there there's not there there missing momentum it's you know, missing energy in it, a way so it's I think objectively better than this film but it almost reminds me of like Nicholas Winding Refn's uh, Only God Forgives which again is a film that just like stylistically looks awesome was trying to operate on the success of drive and kind of redeliver everything that had. And it makes me think that drive happened almost by accident that it was as good as it was. <laughs> Whereas like it does, it does seem, seem like a fluke. Yeah. And I, and I like when Reffin, even, no. even when I don't like his movies, I like that he's making movies like, yeah. you know, stylistically. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think his, his artistic vision, but it's like, but yeah, as far as storytelling goes, not always there. And, mm-hmm. and, this kind of feels like that for Brandon Cronenberg a little bit. Yeah. But still has some merit, yeah. you know. Yeah. I want him to keep making movies. This, yeah. this one just, for yeah. me, at least for me, uh, with, you know, just to echo your sentiment there, Daniel was not, it was not a home run. Uh, and I have no interest in rewatching it. No. Um, although there is an unrated cut and I did find out what it was. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Listeners, I don't think it we'll, makes the film much better. We'll, no, we'll, we'll need to talk about we'll, this. We'll talk about it off I'll air. And off listeners, air. Listen, look it up because I don't even feel like talking about it on mic. But there was like only like a couple of seconds that were actually cut. And it was a very specific shot, in fact, that is not in the movie that uh, the people at Sundance saw. They had to remove it to get the R rating 
mm. for the theatrical. I right. make a, a joke about it in my flick attack review. Mm-hmm. That release. Look that. They had to do it for the release. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go really quickly. I mean, I wouldn't say favorite, just a, another movie, uh, a couple of movies I saw. Actually, a lot of TV shows. In fact, guys, I, I, mean, I mean, this is full discretion. When I when we're not reviewing movies, I spend more time watching television and playing video games. So, um, But I will just uh, say I saw The Pale Blue Eye on Netflix. Oh, yeah. I admire Scott Cooper, I think, a lot more than I like him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't seen Antler, like his movies, I should say, not yeah. him personally. Um, I haven't seen Antlers yet. I've heard mixed things about that. I did genuinely love Out of the Furnace when I saw that. What was that? Almost a decade ago now. I really like Hostiles, which came out, I want to say, four or five years ago. But every other film he's done, I'm like, man, this is not connecting with me. Mm-hmm. But the craft is so good and the performers are so good. Like, I'm here, but also I'm bored, <laughs> which is sad because <laughs> it's like everyone shows up with their A game. Yeah. And I'm not a- opposed to slow burn movies, but this one in particular, I'm just like, when are we going to? I mean, and, and I will say the ending, I do think, does provide just for me to justify my time. I, the, the And there's there's things that happens in the, la- in the last act that definitely recontextualize the rest of the movie in a way that I found compelling. Uh, but you're still just it took too long to get there. Way too Very long to get there. Yeah, yeah. But not, and that one's uh, that one's on Netflix. Stars Christian Bale. Also, oh goodness, I'm gonna get the actor's name. The the you might know oh, him place. from Dudley oh. from uh, the Harry Potter franchise. Yeah. Um, he was really good in sporting role. He looks exactly like Edgar Allan Poe too. <laughs> and make him. They do a great job making it, him. He look is good. Edgar Allan Poe exactly. reincarnated. Right. Harry Melling. Harry Melling. Harry Melling. Uh, is uh, plays Edgar Allan Poe in the, the movie as a cadet. So um, anyway, that was a movie. It's it's out there on Netflix. Check it out. So listeners, what are some of your favorite sleeper hit films that you've uh, watched so far this year in January and February? And these dull drums. Let us know by sending us an email at the cinematropolis at gmail or you can tweet at us on Twitter at the cinematrop or post on our Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash the Cinematropolis as long as these platforms may exist. Gentlemen, it's time for us to jump into our first review here. That's right. We're starting with Knock at the Cabin. Hi there. Can I talk to you for a little bit? You have to come inside right now. There were four of them. What do we say? You shouldn't make things up when we're talking about. Can you open the door, please? They're breaking in. Fuck us, you baby. We're not here to hurt you, but you have to stay here in the cabin with us. Families throughout history have been chosen to make this decision. Your family must choose to willingly sacrifice one of the three of you to prevent the apocalypse. According to IMDb, Knock at the Cabin is described as, while vacationing, a girl and her parents are taken hostage by armed strangers who demand that the family make a choice to avert the apocalypse. Now, this is the latest M. Night Shyamalan movie. It was released on February 3rd at the beginning of the month. Uh, The film is based on a book that is uh, beloved by many by Paul Tremblay. It's uh, titled The Cabin at the End of the World. And uh, most notably, not only did M. Night direct this one, he is known for writing and directing most of his films. In this case, he actually had two co-writers, Steve Desmond and Michael Sherman, who also co-wrote the film here. Let's just crack things open. What did you think of Knock at the Cabin overall as a film? 
Daniel Bokemper, I'll start with you. Yeah, so I want to acknowledge the three powerful P's it has, um, which is, I think, performances, I think, place, and I think, premise. I, I mean, of course, and I, and I meant in that order, really. Um, and so I think Dave Bata- but we have two anchors in this film, um, neither of which I think are the primary characters. And, and a lot of, I will say, at the end of the day, all of the performers showed up. I, I honestly look at like, this more of like an ensemble. Yeah, like mm-hmm. it really is. It really is. And I, I'm going to mention only two specific performances, uh, that I, but they, they all were good, really, like uh, for just characters. Um, this film definitely has it. Um, Dave Batista as Leonard, the very – he's somehow – and this is, might be his best role, really, or at least yeah. he gets the most time. Sure. With it, you know, he. I, I feel like we always get very little of uh, of old Batista, and uh, he he is breaking through, um, and and I'm really excited. I'm, I'm, I hope this leads to some kind of like more character focused piece for him um, that people take a lot more seriously because I think this could do it. But he plays Leonard, who is this like very. He looks menacing and physically imposing, but ultimately it, it's weird how he can simultaneously earn our empathy, but he's also the the antagonistic force a little bit at the same time. And he's it, also Batista, a giant yes. man who looks <laughs> terrifying. Can very easily powerbomb you at any time. Um, at the same time, you have Kristen, I believe it's Kristen Q um, as Wen, who is just another anchor of the film. She's her, her looks, her ability. That's the thing. Is this camera like, I don't know if this is a strength of the film or not, but like it puts the, the, the frame is on people's faces for an extended period of time. And if they weren't particularly good performers, I think in that instance it would show. And none of them really fail, but especially um, especially Chris and Q is when I think just the, the moments we get of her just looking into the camera and her face, along with uh, Dave Batista's, but mostly hers. I think it's just it just speaks to how strong she is, especially there's an, an opening scene. Yeah, between the um, two of them, it's really, yeah, it's, it's really, it, good. it's really good. So I'll say that those the performances. Um, I think the place, I think the setting, when it chooses to live in its setting, the cabin, and be you know more specific, with the exclusion, I, I think this film has flashbacks; those are fine. Um, but I think when it starts to pull away from that and try to make it a little bit bigger than 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 what it seems, I think it could have done better to focus on what it does well, which is make a lot out of that cabin and make a lot out of that place. Um, I, I just love that, especially with like, again, this it's technically a horror film, but it's like more of a thriller really. And I, and I think it does mystery thriller. I, I think being able to, to just put so much tension in one place is, is worth commending. Um, and then I think the premise, I think Paul Tremblay's source material is a really good place to, to adapt. I think it's ripe for adaptation if it's done Carefully, and that's that's where it happens. Yeah, and, and which it is for like eight, like four fifths of the movie. Pretty good, pretty good. I, I would say maybe a, a little less than that personally, but I do. Uh, th- I was spitballing it. Yeah, no, no, no. And I do. Yeah, the art's more like thirteen sixteenths, Caleb. <laughs> no, it's it, you're right though. It, it, it I'm like, gonna split the difference between both of you. And <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's like it is. The premise is great. I think the ideas that are at work in this idea that a normal family can be can be without any explanation be be forced to make an incredibly difficult permission and like, Oh, the fate of the entire world rest on you. That, that premise and that idea works really well. And I think at the film's onset, it is very intriguing and it's very interesting, but Shyamalan has this tendency to, I think kind of get in his own way a little bit. I think he has a tendency to not trust his audience. As I mentioned earlier with skin and not just let them 
like stew in a little bit of ambiguity. This man seems to despise ambiguity and and that's okay. I think unpacking Sometimes. Sometimes he does. I will also say I'm about to I'm I'm going to get mad that he feels like the need to to kind of spell out symbolism for everyone. Mm-hmm. There are films that it genuinely works for me. I say all of this to say I still love Signs. I still think Signs does yeah. it really well. So I saw it was funny. I, think, I saw a lot of people saying if you liked the ending of Signs, you're probably going to like this ending. And I was like, and no. then I saw I saw this movie and I was like, uh, I didn't like this ending, but I love Signs. So I'm not <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not picking up what you're putting well, down. Yeah. And, and what worries me is he's so good at fostering that because it's yeah. not like this film is completely negligent to the idea of Maybe this is happening. Maybe this is, and it plays with that. But I think, like, I don't think Shyamalan is particularly interested in that because very quickly you start to see things that are like, no, 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 no. It's very real, and and it seems like the the doubt that's injected in it later is like backpedaling. It doesn't feel like it's like legitimate doubt yeah. that that has much you know tension built to it. And I think where he decides to build the tension, and I know we're not getting into spoilers, but spoiler alert: uh, this film has a twist. Um, Does it though? It's not predicated on anything. It was just where it's like, I guess not, but it, it's framed as one, right? You could, they, they have a reveal that feels as if it's revealing so, a twist of sorts, but I wouldn't, it didn't feel that way. Right. It just felt like you were having the movie. Remove, removing the, on the, on the, on the page. It, there's not a, I don't think there's a twist. No. Which is and, actually my problem with the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think it could have been so much more powerful if it did away with, and then to learn, and I have not read um, The Cabin at the End of the World, but from what I've heard, I can I can uh, uh, navigate my way around a Wikipedia article. And from what my understanding is, is that it does draw a lot of its power on the ambiguity. And I think that's why people received it so well, is how well it juggles that. And this film doesn't really do that. And then we see that played out in what are kind of just laughable um, <laughs> special effects that just feel to me you could have done away with those and made a better film. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still, it has good merits. There's some cool cinematography. I just wish it was a little bit more disciplined and I wish he can't help, but just like, he has to like stick around and there's moments. And I think the ending is very telling where it's like, God, it had a perfect ending just Mm -hmm. there. Just do it. (laughs) And then it's like, nope. 25 more seconds for y'all. And I'm like, well, uh, I, I did uh, I did go ahead and read a, a summary of the cabinet at the end of the world because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I'm sort of, uh, not to take the mic from you, Daniel, but, you know, my my thing is with, with this is I was super into this movie up until the, like, I was yeah. in, I was like, this is a bona fide, like, M. Night Shyamalan classic until the end. And all I think he needed to do, the book I won't say anything about the ending of the book, but I will just say when I read the ending of the book, there is intentional ambiguity, which mm-hmm. for me is a lot scarier. Yes. A yeah. lot Always. scarier yeah. than, and, and honestly more relevant to, I think the world we're living in today as people surrounded with all sorts of technology and sources of information. Mm-hmm. The movie is so very close to like hitting it dead on yeah. yeah and then and if i think if he'd adapted the book or maybe made and at least at least kept the ambiguity yeah. that the book has present i think uh i really think this movie would have been a home run yeah. but he but yeah. to your point he's like no 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 we gotta tell people exactly what's going on and because of that you're just like well that's that's not yeah that's not that's kind of boring yeah it just loses it it loses an entire star 
because of yeah. the ending. And yeah. that sucks because like it was almost like you said, it was almost like I said, a home run. I was getting ready to say, man, this might be top four yep. Shyamalan. And yep. he's made quite a few movies. So mm-hmm. um like like this is like the return of the 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 original trio, the the sixth sense, uh the signs, uh the unbreakable yeah. Yeah, night. And I don't want to understate there were moments where I felt yeah, yes. his direction. Is... I think his direction is the best it's ever been in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, uh, Laurent, uh, I have similar thoughts. I echo what you said. The three Ps. <laughs> um, I think that um, the performances. I'll just even mention uh, Ben Altright, Altridge, and um, Jonathan Goff were good as the couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think just you know everyone really was strong. Even the other, um, the other, um, what do you call them? The attackers or the. Um, um, along with Dave Bautista. Home Invaders. Home Invaders, uh, sure. yeah. yeah. They all, all of their performances were very strong. We, the, we see that that Ron Weasley's fate after Hogwarts was really, <laughs> really not what we thought it was going <laughs> to yeah. be. Well, and I feel like there's a good dynamic between them because even with Dave Bautista, I agree with you. Like, I, honestly, my hesitation to see this movie beyond just, you know, I will always go to a Shyamalan movie just to see what the hell he does because he's one of those directors that just takes such big swings they do not always land in fact i'd say more times than now he's in the he's in the red of movies not working out for the swings but i still appreciate the ambition every single time swing away meryl swing Swing away away, meryl swing away exactly um but uh what what works really well but but beyond that you know what was what kind of gave me hesitation to go to see this even though i i knew i'd be there either way was that I'm, I just have never been able to take Dave Bautista seriously as an actor. Um, and I think he's great as, as he, in, in Galaxy and you know, what have you, but I just, um, as a dramatic actor, I was like, I don't see it. And then when we watched this movie, I got it. I was like, yeah. actually, he's a pretty decent actor. And maybe he's just been relegated to one space for so long. And so it was just really nice to see those layers. So um, I appreciated that. So I was engaged with, the conflict and the conflict on both sides of the story, you know, cause I understand how intensely this is important to them as it is to the people who are being tasked with something terrible, you know, to do or made a horrible decision. Um, but yeah, I think the wind gets sucked out of it at the end. And I think it would have been far more powerful if we didn't actually see anything on the other side. Like yeah. I don't, I didn't need visuals. You didn't I, like the newscast? I didn't need... But we wouldn't yeah. have gotten the cameo from M. Night as the... Uh, Jesus, <laughs> I rolled my eyes so hard. Oh, really? I thought it was fun. I he, just, has a, he has a good cameo. I thought it was a good cameo. I just... It doesn't top my favorite cameo of his. Nah, not of the ones he's done in uh, the past. You, I was like... I was, guys, good. I was definitely like the Leo meme from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah. when he showed up. I'm like, oh, there he is. And Lauren's like, yeah, everyone knows who M. Night Shyamalan is, doofus. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so... She's like, what are, you, what, so what are you freaking out about? Yeah. I just think if those scenes were omitted and we were just our we were in in the spirit of skin and given the opportunity to let our imaginations imagine what they were seeing then i think that that tension could have been yes like like more you know elevated to such a degree absolutely until like i said like reveal something at the end sure but i just feel like i think that when i saw it it just kind of neutered the suspense for me because it's it, I'm seeing exactly what it is, and therefore I know have no longer a reason to really. You know what I mean? It just kind of mm-hmm. removes some of my emotional investment in the story as it was going along. 
Um, and then, as you mentioned, I also read the description of the ending of uh, from the book, in which I won't reveal here, but um, I just think that would have been far more powerful, far more effective. Mm-hmm. And in every interview I've seen him in uh, promoting this movie, it's very it's very clear that he he did not care for the ending, and he wanted to Shyamalan the ending. And by doing so, I think he, you know, Shyamalan the audience, and now we're frustrated because he could have if he had, the source material was there. You know what I mean? Like if you're a dad, yeah, he had he had everything you had, needed. You had everything you needed. You had all you had all the clues. Yeah. Like, as we mentioned, the direction was was strong. The performances were strong. Mm-hmm. The story is where we're having a little bit of an issue. But he didn't have to. And have he an issue. changed it. No. It's like he retroactively that, took it yes. out and then made his ending self sabotage. Yeah, exactly. exactly, entirely. So. But an adaptation is difficult. Like it's really hard. And then there's so many different ways to make. A good adaptation. Well, and there's some again. Like, having read the summary, they there are some choices that I understand that. And again, I won't be specific. There's just certain things that I think the audience <laughs> that might have lost the audience mm-hmm. had they adapted it to the screen. But I still think there's the elements of ambiguity they could have found a way yeah. to include. Yeah, he's also a hopeless optimist, so I feel like there's also that element Maybe, too, yeah. where he just everything has to have some kind of deeply spiritual uplift kind of vibe that he does kind you know, of inject in every movie. Even signs is a well, signs is a very yeah, big one. Is, yeah. Well, I mean, I just might, my, my, okay. So here's my thing with this movie. Like I find the premise to be amazing. I actually didn't mind. We get some, I mean the, the newscast, I do agree with Daniel. Uh, I don't think it took away from me that the yeah. visual effects didn't. It was mostly there's a scene in particular where there's someone they they have like oh this is some random person's cell phone footage and it definitely are like oh no that that mm. there's no way that they got that shot and got it on the news. No. Um, it did not give me the the uh, alien le- alien yeah. walk cross and yeah, signs, from vibe, signs which they I think he was going for. I think he was it going didn't for do that. No, I. So, I, but I like the idea that they gave us something because I think baked into this premise is, oh my gosh, these people think the world is going to end, and the only way we can get out of this is by us having to murder each other, mm-hmm. and they're able to just look around them because our world right now we are so overstimulated with information mm-hmm. and data points, and we all realize, holy cow, there's crazy stuff happening in the world every single day. Yeah. And for these people, for one reason or another, to have believed that they are prophets of God and that they are seeing these signs, they can turn on the TV and like, like, look, this is evidence that that this is what's going on. What Mm -hmm. we say is going on is going on. I love the idea that that's like that. I think that's a great premise. It's terrifying because it kind of highlights the world we're living in today that we have more information and more technology at our fingertips than we've ever had before, but also humans are humans. And sometimes you can fall down a deep, dark rabbit hole and get sucked into believing some crazy ass stuff. Mm-hmm. QAnon believers, um, mm-hmm. for example. So the idea that, okay, maybe these people are prophets of, uh, from God, or maybe these are people who just drank their own Kool-Aid mm-hmm. on, and they met on an internet forum. Their lives were sad. They fell down an internet rabbit hole. They started to drink their own Kool-Aid and became convinced that the world was going to end. I wish that they, I will just say, it's not a spoiler, but the movie makes it very clear what is going on mm-hmm. Yeah, by the end. Mm-hmm. And I think if you leave that question open, yeah. such a powerful, powerful very. statement about 
the uncertainty we all have yeah. and mm-hmm. that there's people, whether or not you what believe in truth? what is true and, and whether or not you believe in a divine power or not, we're all so uncertain about what's going on. We don't know what to believe. Yeah. And we need it. We're, gl- we're gleaning for explanations. Yes. And yeah. so, um, um, so I love, so, so that the premise, like, and that's why I'm saying like, if he had just left it more ambiguous at the end about what was going on, I, th- I really think this might've been one of his best movies, yeah. Oh, yeah. but instead he has to come down and say, no, this is what's going on. We're gonna, and I'm gonna tell you in case you didn't get it from the visuals, we're going to actually word vomit. Yeah, <laughs> that was exactly the first time is. I've never. I don't think I've ever walked out of a movie. Um, maybe I should have at times, but I haven't. But like that was the first time that I wanted to walk out of the climax of a movie. Like within like ten seconds of that, what you're referring to, I was just like, this is, this is kind of insulting, and you, this is the cherry that. on top of a film you've just teared apart yourself mm-hmm. like yeah uh, i don't know yeah two-part question one i mean do you guys how do you guys feel about where does this kind of fall and within the echelon of m night and uh also seems like we like a lot about his direction here i mean we are we still mm-hmm. excited to see him do more work laurent yeah absolutely I, I, again I'll, I'll see a Shyamalan movie anytime just because he's a hollywood director that does that doesn't go with the you know what i mean like he he, he goes to the beat of his own drum and sometimes he finds his right rhythm and the right alchemy to make something unique and interesting that that you know sticks around for a while and sometimes he gets in his own more times than not he gets in his own way but either way it's always interesting you know so yeah I'm, I, I'd, I'd see more Shyamalan films right Daniel I I want to see Shyamalan films that he didn't write I think is, uh, is that's that part, the problem that though part. he also has a bit of an ego yeah yeah in which he has to be the one to write it <laughs> but but to put this on like a hierarchy I guess of like Shyamalan films um I think it's it feels like the happening at times, but it's better than the happening. Yeah. Like oh, it's ultimately, like it's miles yeah. above. I think it's better. <laughs> there is like one thing that I find redeeming about Lady in the Water, and it's specifically the animatronics. But beyond that, um, I'm not crazy. I haven't revisited it, but but I, I think it's better than even like a more recent one. Be like Glass. Um, I didn't catch old. I don't know if any of you did or yeah. if it was any good. Um, um, another situation of good premise. Man, that's a, I yeah. actually thought even the ending was great. Uh, you know what? You know what that movie needed? It needed someone else to write it. That, yeah, I, like, yeah. like the, the the premise, the story. I actually thought, yeah, I like that movie. But man, is the dialogue bonkers yeah. shit like stuff that I could have written and I probably did write in high school. Like people <laughs> explaining anyway. Look over there. Why are we here? Don't you see the reflections on the ocean and they're bouncing off the thing? That's why we're aging, guys. Yeah, and I know this because I'm a scientist. On the nose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that's to say. Um, so much, <laughs> another one of those movies, so much is working for it, but then, uh, yeah, that's all to say, like, I feel like this is like kind of floats around the village a little bit for me, even though I think mm-hmm. I like the village better, but like, I think, I don't know. I f- it feels like kind of a yeah, ballpark. I feel like it's like just hanging out outside of the parameters of the village. Yes. You know, the, the twist ending of that movie. Sorry, spoiler <laughs> if you haven't seen it. But it's the been movie out that's for like, 20 what, 20 years, yeah. It's so. the, the definitive twist. Like, yes. Yeah. I like that movie. I do too. I do too, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking- Quartz uh, and all. I still uh, like you, know, you know, another thing we haven't mentioned about Shyamalan taking big swings is not only is he taking big swings creatively, uh, you know, he made a comeback in 2015 after we were sure he was dead. He had, his three movies were Lady in the Water, The Happening, and then- most famously, okay. infamously, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. Hmm. I don't know how he butchered such powerful source material <laughs> to a, such a degree that I still can't wrap my head around it. I'll be honest. Um, 
but he was able to rebound with the movie The Visit in 2015, mm-hmm. and he had to self-finance that thing. Yeah. He put his house up for mortgage, guys. Like, all the stuff you're not supposed to do, yeah. you know, he did it. And uh, it's paying off for him because he, uh, the visit was a modest success that gave him the split. Split, as we know, ended up being a huge hit. Gave him glass, you know. So, um, and now he's back to doing studio work. Uh, I think um, this is a was part of a two picture deal between Old and uh, Knock at the Cabin was a two picture deal with Universal. And now, as of this last week, he's apparently got a first look deal with Warner Brothers. So, um, you know, I don't think I think I'm with you, Leron. He's he's more uh, misses than hits, but yeah. no, he's taking big swings. Yeah, mm-hmm. and even when the movies aren't always great, I'm just at least he's trying to do something that's outside the box. Yeah, and he's willing to put his money where his mouth. They're not is. boring. That's the thing is they're not boring. They keep my my interest. Oh, yeah. They just mm-hmm. don't come together neatly. Right. You know, so yeah. But otherwise, I'm right there with you. This 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 was almost like a top three Shyamalan movie for me, and instead it was a. Uh, Kind of middle of the road. Yeah. It kind know. of leads the pack of the mediocre ones. Yeah. Yeah. It's top of you the know, mediocre. Good way to put yeah. It. yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Um, with all, all that said, though, I mean, we've already talked about how we feel about the ending. What letter grade would uh, you give Knock at the Cabin, Daniel Bogemper? Oh, it, it's feeling like a C minus. C minus? Yeah. Was the minus for the. The, the, yes, the, the lack min- of the moths coming back at the end in any meaningful <laughs> way. Yes, yes. The the minus was for the um That was the weirdest okay, again, my yeah, Oh it, yeah, the but, grasshoppers. But, but they, or that, grasshoppers, yeah, sorry, yeah, the moths. Yeah, it was grasshoppers. And uh it felt like when you're watching, like, oh my gosh, he's clearly setting up some themes here. This matters. I, I see it, it matters. He po- draws so much attention to it, never comes back. No, I think that I started to tick down on the the, the twenty extra seconds of unnecessary ending shot. Um, that we got. I think that's when I started to, it was C territory for me. And then that's like, uh, not minus minus. I'm offended. I am. (laughs) I'm insulted personally. All right. C minus Laurent Chapman. I think I can rest comfortably with a B minus on this. Um, I like enough of it a lot to say that I might, I I might even consider rewatching it for the first two thirds of the movie. You know, just because it is such a good time and it's engaging. So I think B minus is probably where I'm going to land. I don't see it it aging well over time, but that's pretty much where I stand now. Yeah, I think B minus is a very generous review for this mm-hmm. one. I, I'm going to go with the C right down the middle. And uh, you say the letter grade. I mean, you talk about the losing a star rating. This would have been a solid B plus A minus if not for the ending. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it brought it all the way down from that A, a minus B plus down to a straight C. Yeah. And the C is honestly because of because of the great directing. Uh, we've all said great directing, great performances, great premise. Um, yeah. Just <laughs> couldn't land that plane. Uh, <laughs> derailed your own train. Okay. Um, with all that said, gentlemen, uh, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts on Knock at the Cabin. Let's move on to the second film we're going to be talking about today. It put a spell on me, you could say. <laughs> That's right. I was so mesmerized by Magic Mike's Last Dance. Let's get to that review. What did you want before Miami? I just wanted to escape my life. Do you like bartending? It's not really what I do. What is it that you really do? And you came along and gave me this unexpected, magical moment. 
that made me remember who I really was. According to IMDb, Magic Mike's Last Dance is described as Mike takes to the stage again following a business deal that went bust, leaving him broke and taking bartending gigs in Florida. Mike heads to London with a wealthy socialite who lures him with an offer he can't refuse. I should also put that that socialite was played by Salma Hayek. Very important detail. Very important detail. Yeah. Um, th- this is the third film in the Magic Mike series. That uh, I would say it seems like it's probably a trilogy capper, given the title. So we'll say trilogy capper. It's the second film directed by Steven Soderbergh, and this was also written by Reed Carolyn. Gentlemen, uh, I'm just going to throw this out there. I did an interesting experiment where I was like, I need to rewatch those Magic Mike movies. I've never, I haven't seen them since they came out, either one of them. And I uh, didn't get around to it. So I went into this with like only vaguely remembering the first two films. Um, would love to hear what you thought uh, uh, overall. LaRon Chapman, we'll start with you. I feel like these are all guilty pleasures of mine. And I'm kind of predisposed to enjoy them even if they aren't good. But I think that um, this one's an interesting one because it feels like the first two, um, each really each one of them has its own identity they they have different personalities you know like the like the first one's very kind of deep and heavy and a little bit more of a, a thoughtful character study the second one's like a you know girls night out kind of movie and then this but with male strippers but with male strippers yeah. let me just clarify um but um but yes and then yeah this one is kind of a weird hybrid of those two things you know um and not really the right ratio of any of them you know um, I think the biggest gripe that people had with the first one was that there's not enough sex, and it should be. There's, I mean, if it's a male stripper movie, why are they taming this down? It, just go for it. Be provocative, what have you. And um, and then the second one gave us a little bit more of that, but less of the depth. You know what I mean? Like it was just – Yeah, more, the second movie I feel like was was exactly what everyone thought, thought the first the movie first one was, was going to be. Yeah. Exactly. And so they're like, well, we gave you that. So like, yeah, you could still tell an in-depth story, but just – Add these two things together. One plus one equals, you know, mm-hmm. like, and then this one, it feels like they just kind of neutered the sexuality in a way that it almost feels like one of the step up movies more than more than the Magic Mike. Very you know. strong step up vibes. You know, like mm-hmm. I was like, okay, like, yeah, choreographed dancing. But where is the sensuality? Like, where is the like, which it does exist in the opening sequence between him and Selma Hayek, you yeah. know. I do. I was like, if this is how the movie is going to go for the rest of the show, then this is this is exactly what we were asking for, and it just feels like it. It never kind of matches that same heat, you know. After mm-hmm. that, and I, I still had a good time with this uh, overall. Just personally, just because there's there's things about this that I'm willing to forgive because you know um, I do enjoy this series um, for carnal reasons but <laughs> i think that um but I still, i'm invested in the boys okay I, i'm yeah. just you know but i but i still feel like for sure just on you know objectively i can say that um they they've it's lost a little bit of the magic <laughs> you know I, my letterboxd review is almost the magic is gone but then i knew that that wasn't totally true that it was more yeah. like the magic is almost gone the magic it's like it's just like there are three or four pretty nice set pieces in this that saved it from from me just completely writing it off. But 
Um, but yeah, it's surprising. It's surprising that for your third one, you didn't go out with a bang. You know, like you would think you just go ham on the last one. It's the last dance. So I, we should be, you know, we should be going for it. But, um, yeah, that was where I was at too. I was expecting more of things, certain things we, we got. Um, and, but you know, it's not bad. No, it's not bad. Yeah. The the, the final sequence, which is like what, 20 minutes. Some hikes a hoot in this. I think she does. She's having a blast. She's shooting up the scenery. I liked the actress that plays her daughter in it quite a bit. And the Butler guy was funny. Uh, and Shannon Tatum's charming, you know, all those things work fine. It's just, I just felt like the story was so just to put it, Frankly, I mean, it's just super safe. And when I say like the heat, I'm not saying like, you know, go into this just trying to see skin. It's just that if you're going to have a movie uh, that's that's trying to be edgy and provocative and then it it's, every scene feels like you're just pulling the punch, it kind of feels like, well, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So. Like you said, I think the, the, they start – that opening scene yeah. really – does start that way, sure. and then the movie pivots pretty hard into a yeah. totally different direction. I think for the in terms of like the dance sequences, for example, I had similar gripes with like the Fifty Shades series, which is not even like like I, I've written that completely off. None of those are good movies are good, but I will say that like what I constantly griped about it was like this. Like I never read the books, and I refused to. But um, what I was, I went to see it for the same reason. Everybody was talking it up, like, oh, you can't wait. We read the books and all this. I'm like, this is this is. You know what I mean? This is titillating for everybody. Like for me, <laughs> I was like, this is missing sexuality. Like, I mean, acts are happening, but there's no eroticism I, yeah. here. I was shocked <laughs> when I saw, I think I saw the first one and the third one. I think I actually skipped the second one. Yeah. Um, both times I was like, you know, for as much as people hyped how sexually charged this is. I've seen, I've I've seen, seen more in PG-13 films. Exactly. There's like none of that yeah. chemistry is there. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that was kind of my gripe about the first magic mic but even still saying like but this is an outright just good film Mm -hmm. beyond that but i did kind of come here to see a little bit of and then the second one again as i mentioned gave me that without the story and then this one is like okay so you neutered both things (laughs) so here we are weird way to end weird way to end your last dance but you know daniel bokemper Tell us about your relationship to the Magic Mike trilogy and what did you oh, think of so, this entry? Yeah, so a few things. Is it the last dance really? Because as someone who has not seen Magic Mike nor Magic Mike Double XL, <laughs> um, I and not for any particular reason, I thought about catching those before conducting this review, and I will likely go back and see them um, because I hear really good things about the first installment. But I think that this one, it's very. It stands on its own. Yeah. It makes me remember that uh, Magic Mike came out in 2012 and the second one was 2015. So this is an eight year <laughs> removed film, which mm-hmm. is a little baffling to me. But yeah, um, the original Magic Mike, I think, I, I don't know. I didn't feel like I needed any of that, like for this film to work. And it does ultimately work for me. But then I'm also questioning a lot of things about this character. Like, why is there's yeah. this finality on it. And like, I know when you were giving up the synopsis, oh, he had a bad business deal and now he's, they gloss over all of that, by the they way. They do. Yeah. And it's like, doesn't feel very compelling in that way. Like it feels like he's just kind of a very wishy washy. And for this to be your, your lead character, that, that feels a little odd to me how there, there isn't that state. Could we dig in a little bit to why is he not dancing anymore? Like really why? Because he seems like he has no real hesitation. To, to get back on the stage, which again, just makes me question 
why is this such a sticking point? And also, why is this the last dance? Because I will say, ultimately, not to, to spoil it, but this film doesn't feel like it could be. It's like one of those movies that mm-hmm. if this is like the final of a series, it's fine. It has kind of like an off ramp, but it didn't feel super conclusive to me or very definite in that way. Um, and, you know, I've, I've learned my lesson, you know, Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> fourth film. Uh, Magic I, Mike, I won't dance. Don't ask me. Frank Sinatra. It's coming back. It's, he's coming back. First scene yes. in the movie, I don't, I don't dance anymore. I don't dance anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, really? How Pony long comes on. Yeah. yeah, immediately. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's – and I, I don't know. I will say, like, the things I, I generally like about the film and receive well, I think uh, the, the tremendous feats of strength, like – uh, seemingly Channy Tatum is, is holding Salma Hayek up in the air with one arm for what seems to be a very, very, very long time. Um, and that's always impressive. I think the choreography is fun. And I, I think, I do think Channing Tatum, he's charming. He's charismatic. I think he's pretty like, from what I understand, a little bit underrated and underutilized mm-hmm. and in a world of Chris Hemsworth and Jason Momoa's not to throw shade on. Well, uh, okay. Wait, 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 wait. Chris like, Hemsworth is not the same as Jason Momoa. Though. Let's just, <laughs> I know, but ma- man, I hear you. I hear man, you. when you put them all in a room, they, they, yes, you're right. We're Jason splitting Momoa. armpit hairs. Jason right. Momoa. We're splitting beards. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> we are. Jason. Okay. Channing Tatum, despite being the ripped, like he being, he, he's good. The stereotype yeah. is he's a, a ripped he machismo good. guy. He's actually a really talented. God, Foxcatcher. Foxcatcher, yeah. So he has it. He's just, he doesn't, he's one of those actors that doesn't get the opportunity to do that quite a bit. He, he kind of yeah. stays like, I'll do the commercial stuff. And if you throw me a dramatic role every now and then, it, uh, I'll take it on. It had know? a really brief but powerful scene in The Hateful Eight. Like, he, he, oh, yeah. he, can, yeah. he, he yeah. can show up when he, yeah. when he wants to. But mostly it's The Lost City, and which is okay. Which <laughs> yeah. is okay. Like, he fits that. I'd rather have somebody who's good doing yeah. those kinds of roles. But I, I, it does – yeah, I just feel like I didn't really need any kind of understanding of this character. And that I actually almost felt like kind of like, huh, I wanted this to excite me about the other films. And it, it really didn't in that way. And I'm less enthusiastic ultimately and where I still think the film starts to lose itself for me is like it, it almost feels like sequences are cut short. Mm. There was yeah. a scene we, yeah. were, we were talking about before we were recording about it. There's a sequence on a bus that just seemed like so exciting. I'm like, oh, this is going to be this. I got that. I tend to put the cart ahead of the horse when I get like word of a scene or I start to see the pieces come together for a certain scene. I'm like, oh, this is going to elevate the film and be hilarious. And it kind of wasn't. It kind of just like you get a couple of the moments where I'm like, oh, this is good. This is going to be really good. And then it, it's cut very short. And so in a way, we're playing kind of like a game of like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory where like a lot of the film, it's like, well, let's get to the last dance because we're building it up. We're building it up so much. And it's both very brief and then save one particular dance number. That is Channing Tatum's number. It's a little – well, no, I'll say that. I, I will say the the – we get the opening of this performance that I think is pretty clever mm-hmm, and, and pretty mm-hmm. catchy. But then I also think there's a very wet performance with uh, Channing Tatum. And, oh. um, yes. Um, I, I do not know who the, the um, actor he performs with her name, but no um, one does. Yeah. She, <laughs> she's a Salma Hayek lookalike. Salma Hayek lookalike. Yes. Who can do Swan Lake as well. <laughs> and she, yeah, it's like those things work, but Yeah, I just think it's like weird for me. And I think your question about how do I feel about this, my familiarity with the the other films is I was actually hoping to feel like, (laughs) oddly, I was hoping to feel like, man, I'm missing out. Like this is such an intriguing character and this is such a compelling um, story and and following him. I want to know who this guy is. I want to know who Magic Mike is. I want to see the origins of the magic. 
And I did not exit this feeling that mm. I kind of felt like those films are probably pretty good, but like this one stands on its own, but it doesn't do much being it being able to stand on its own legs. It doesn't do much with that entirely. I think what I will say the magic between the first two beyond anything that I've mentioned previously mm -hmm. is really that the movies surprisingly respect women like very well in each, yeah. each one. And in a, you know, in a movie that, you know, objectifies the male form and, or, you know, in the mm -hmm. way that we've done to women's bodies in so many different ways um, throughout film, what they emphasize in both of the first two movies, and I think to an extent in the third one as well, mm -hmm. um, but I think strongly in the second one in particular, there's a lot of conversation around consent, a lot of conversation around like, uh, you know, uplifting women that feel, you know what I mean, trapped in a, in a like, you know, yeah. they can't express themselves sexually or they mm -hmm. can't, um, uh, or they're insecure about their bodies or they're insecure about, and it, it, it goes around that and kind of, provides a sense of encouragement in that mm -hmm. space. And I always loved that sentiment that was in it. And and this movie seems to be like all about that. That's her whole point of making this show and everything. And um, so that's there. It's just, you know, again, some of the, you know. Yeah. Well, guys, I'm going to come in and just, uh, I'm just going to call it like I see it. I feel like this is a pretty downer of a third movie. Um, I think this is the weakest of the three movies by a considerable margin. And, and I'll, I'll say this. Here's the funny thing. That first movie when it came out, won't get too detailed, but mm -hmm. and I think generally speaking, our culture has what's acceptable has evolved over the last decade, which is a plus. But whenever I went and saw Magic Mike in 2012, it was one of those like, oh, if you're a guy and you go and see it, you get like toxic masculinity. Like mm. people would be like, oh, I'm going to take your man card and all that stuff or whatever. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I was like, well, I mean, people are saying it's pretty good. And it's from Steven Sonnenberg who – Maybe you don't know who he is, but you like a lot of his movies. Have you seen Ocean's Eleven? I mean, you <laughs> yeah, know, like, yeah. so I went and saw it and I was like, wow, that is not perfect, but I was really impressed with the drama. I really was. Mm -hmm. And um, McConaughey was also in that one. Yeah. That second one was super fun. And I, I kind of liked the pivot, uh, mm -hmm. even though yeah. it was a different thing. I was really into it. I was like, oh, this is a fun time. This yeah. is like you said, a girl's night out type yeah. of movie or a The Hangover, but with male strippers or something right. like that, right. you know. And the characters um, are likable. Very like, likable. They're not like wooden, like little, like they, they gave them things to do. Like each 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 guy in the third, in the second one, you know. I feel like you get insight into the light into various aspects of the male stripper life in both of those movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, the second one being a lot more light and fun and silly, whereas the first one is definitely a lot more dramatic. Mm -hmm. This one, though, I don't really think it tells me much about the life of a male stripper. This whole, and I think that, and I'll be honest, the story here is paper thin. Like I, yeah. I have my suspension of my suspension of disbelief is Salma Hayek would just happen to hook up with him and then sweep him away to go to London to let him run a play at a theater that she owns. Or does she? Or does she? I mean, that I'm all on board. That that's the stuff. I'm like, ah, oh, man, this is such a stretch. I have such a hard time believing mm -hmm. that he would take this gig. Um, I mean, obviously they have a great scene. They have one good scene with the cast of XXL where they're basically talking about like, yeah, man, it's a great scene. You felt that's the broiness coming out. Like it's like, yeah, man, you could sounds like you got a good thing going. Maybe just didn't. I was like, all right, all right, fine, I'll buy this, even though I think it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, implausible, but yeah, highly implausible, but yeah. They had an amazing dance number at the beginning. It sold me on it. Sure. Right. It was seriously that opening sequence was that's the sensuality that was, I think was missing. Mm -hmm. However, the part that I just I can't <laughs> Magic Mike 
has never directed a play. Yeah. And he does it in a month. Yeah. And they only have the bare bones version <laughs> of a script that they, you hear them like throw it out the written, window. They haven't written the whole yeah, third exactly. act. Exactly. There's not a third act. And then him and Salma Hayek are supposed to be like collaborate. She's kind of the producer type, but we never see their collaboration on the play specifically no. No. being meaningful or like, Oh, this deep connection you have. It's mostly them yelling at each other. <laughs> and I'm like, so I'm yeah. not, it's, it's, I feel like the the, 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 you combo those two things together. And then the third thing being that I just think that there's the amazing sequence at the very beginning. And I do really like Mike's dance at the end of the movie. And I think the general full play that we get the snippets of the play, we get to see are solid, but like, uh, it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't meet what I was expecting for that kind of a weight. So I, sure. I suspended my disbelief for this and I'd never saw the meaningful stuff come out, but at least we're going to get an amazing dance number. And it is good. Sure. It is good, but it is not transcendent. Yeah. And, it, or, and it's not on the same level as what we saw in the second yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and it didn't have anything particularly meaningful to say. And I'm not going to spoil it, but they basically end this movie on a who gives a f, f like type of thing. And I was like, this is this kind of crossed the threshold for me. You know, it, it's it's a hard it's one of those where this is the third entry that feels like almost I can't believe this is in the same universe as the first movie type of thing. Yeah. Now, it is feel it does feel somewhat divorced. If it doesn't have Magic Mike, I would but this isn't Magic Mike. Right. This is Step Up 14. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It feels more like a, it feels like a more like a mediocre Step Up movie. And the last thing I'll say is there are some dance sequences that are really good. There's a really a cool moment where the, all the guys get together on a bus um that I, I found could have been more, but I also mm -hmm. thought it was a really fun moment. The but the dance sequences outside of those two that I mentioned really are just kind of okay, and and yeah. as to say to your point, Daniel, they always feel incomplete. You see just like a, a little glimpse at something, or every time you think they're about to do something really big, it's like cut away. You know. Yeah, yeah and there's and and so you mentioned two things too, Caleb. I, I just want to speak on and and Laurent, I think alluded this too, and what made the first two films kind of good. But you mentioning that they they give a background of what, what male stripper life is. I think this film sets up a more inner, like not a more interesting necessarily, but a kind of interesting um, plot device that it never really explores is that the people, the the men that are coming in for this last performance are really, they're not necessarily strippers. They're, they're dancers. Yeah. One of them is like scouted specifically as this like very, very, very top, like viral superstar dancer. And magic Mike is teaching them what, kind of more about what, what stripping is and that sensuality. And he, he like, you get like a couple sequences where he explains that overtly, but you never really see that. And you never get to see like any argument or any kind of conflict about like the, the stigma that's placed upon strippers. Mm. They just kind of just accept it. And I think that could have, that could have done something. There could have been something there that would have been really interesting with that. And that magic Mike is not taken seriously as yeah. a director because well, a, he's never directed for, but B he is known as, but there's like, there's like, the I think one or two stripper. times where they, they bring that up. They uh, do, and, yeah. but, but it's like, it just feels it's, a little too late. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it's, and it's like the bare minimum. Yeah. Of exploring that idea. <laughs> and, and I will say this film's made me <laughs> to some extent. I think everything you say is completely valid about, not being able to spend your possibility. Like he randomly meets this woman and then he's like swept away to this, like yeah. fortune that he can't think. It, it makes me think of like, what's that old Disney film 
uh, the Princess Diaries. Is that it? The one where, yeah, it's like, hey, now, hey, now, which I like that film. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. 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 I'm not saying in this household, we we only say nice things about Princess Diaries. (laughs) I promise. We're not we don't have to talk nicely about the sequel, but that first movie. (laughs) No shade. Put me down. If we ever review Princess Diaries in some kind of retrospective, you can just put me down for an A minus. I don't even need to be on the podcast. (laughs) But I will say like it, it. that I'm okay with. Like it is kind of, like I mentioned Willy Wonka earlier, but it's kind of that, that effect a little bit. Like, yeah. I'm like, it's okay for people who are, have no reason being in these like extravagant, huge things. I, I think even to some extent, although it, this film, that film that I'm about to mention, crazy rich agents sets that up a lot better and builds it up a lot better and makes it way more believable. Um, this film, it does feel a little unbelievable, but I'm okay with that. But yeah, then when it doesn't really do much with it, it doesn't. Well, really, that's what I'm saying. You don't like, get like the fish out of water. I, I'm not opposed to. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where I'm at. I'm, like, I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm saying if yeah. you're gonna, if you do it that way, earn it, commit it. You have yeah. to commit, and you have to. It has to pay off yeah. in a meaningful way. Yeah. And the other thing, just to, to reiterate, my point is, I think the other th- problem I have with it is because if this was the first movie, it wouldn't be that as big a deal. You're like, oh, this is just what these movies do. Yeah. This is the third movie in a series where we've seen them do other things. Right. That feel a better. little more grounded. So it's like. Yeah, it's a little. Yeah, it's a little like why we had all the nuts and bolts. You knew it. We knew what we needed here, and and for whatever reason, you decided against doing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we we've given you the criticism for each one, and instead of incorporating the things that we've mentioned, you've just removed them all together, and so it just feels kind of okay. So what is this? Because it does feel a little strange. It feels like you've just taken, you've plucked this character that we've spent two movies with. And you've placed him in a different scenario, but it doesn't, but the scenario that he's in seems divorced from yeah. what he was going through in the first two. You know what I mean? It, so it just seems kind of like. It feels kind of inconsequential to me. Yeah, and like that's not what knowing. It is. That's yeah, what it is. Expecting just, something. I had a fine time with it, but it yeah. just feels like it just doesn't feel essential yeah. to the, to the trilogy. It doesn't, doesn't really make a strong claim for why it needs to exist with the other two. Well, so. you know, and there's two things I want to note about just kind of how this movie came about. Uh, number one, uh, this was originally planned as an HBO Max release um, mm-hmm. back when I believe it was greenlit under uh, the uh, AT&T, t- the, a- the very brief but wild AT&T era of Warner Brothers uh, yeah. where they were trying to get as much content on HBO and mining those properties, number one. And number two, uh, Steven Soderbergh had said that he he decided he wanted to do it after they had seen, the, I guess there was a Magic Mike stage play that he was producing and they had so much fun with seeing the dance sequences yeah. that he's like, let's do another one, yeah. you know? And I just think and this would have been way better suited for HBO Max, you know, Perhaps. honestly. Perhaps. Like, yeah. like, you know, at least because that way, this is going to sound terrible. On HBO Max, I kind of feel like, okay, this is a take it or leave it in essential follow-up, an epilogue of sorts, versus a theatrical release. I'm like, okay, the third entry in a trilogy. Yeah. I don't know. That's a weird No, I get nuance. it. Yeah, no, I get sense, it. So. it would have, your expectations would have been tempered yeah. leading into it. But we had ours up here because we had favorable opinions about the first two. And this one just kind of didn't quite hit the, you know what I mean, hit the mark. And so- yeah, it's interesting. It kind of reminds me more like it, with if you think of comic books and like, you know, you have a comic book, an established series, and then you took this a main character out of the series and did like in the adventures of like a little side story, yeah. Yeah. a little short story. It's like Magic Mike did this one thing once upon. That's what it feels like. Like yeah. the things that you buy, like, oh, you'll read it because it's like you love the character right. and it's part of in some, you know, tangentially connected to it. But um, 
But yeah, but as part of the main series, it feels kind of divorced from what was established before, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Well, gentlemen, uh, we have covered all the things I want to hit on here. With that said, what letter grade would you give Magic Mike's Last Dance? LeBron Chapman. The the gyrating is very um, powerful. So I'm still giving this a B minus, um, despite my reservations about most of it. Um, I still had a good time with this. This is not one I'll probably revisit a lot, but um, there's there's intermittently I had I had inter- some entertainment and amusement from it. All right. So Lamont's feeling mildly positive about it. Daniel Bokemper. Yeah, I had fun, so I'm going to give it same a uh, big old B minus for a big old buff Channing Tatum. <laughs> I uh, yeah it. It does like it's. I think it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun, and I didn't like none of my major criticisms are like like I really have to kind of dig into the minutia to like bring it down. But like it does feel like it could have been so much more. Yeah. Even just watching it and not knowing or not mm. not I didn't know anything about the other films, but not not seeing them. I I I wonder where the the MMCU, the Magic Mike Cinematic Universe, will. <laughs> go after this go next i mean i you know i hope this is like this is this is like one of those where they're like well five years from now they're like all right we're doing another one why well we just we want to end this on a positive note we got to do the indiana jones five but with magic mike you know yeah. so you gotta end on a high note um i'm gonna go i don't know guys right down the middle again i'm a c like mm-hmm. i i had fun the things that work really work for me again a plus plus opening dance sequence Probably I'd say throughout you're looking at like maybe a a B on most dance sequences and I think goes back up to an A at the end. The script though, that's like a D for me. The mm. script because like, here's the other thing yeah. I should I should point out. I didn't say if Magic Mike, if it was not Channing Tatum and Selma Hayek, I think on the page there is nothing between these two. Mm. Like it is the most farcical relationship on paper sure, that they have this sure. that they would like fall in love or whatever. It only works because you have two A plus plus performers um, providing that chemistry, right? So they also A plus plus. It's really the script for me. It's like a D, like maybe even a D minus, but uh, you know, C for the overall movie. I I think there's a lot of fun to be had here. Again, the last 20 minutes I thought was a blast um, with Mm -hmm. one specific sequence in particular. That was great. All right, gentlemen. Well, I think for our last uh, review uh, film, we're going to review today. We're going to, Take things down a notch. We're gonna shrink down a size or two. We're gonna we're gonna take a look at the little guy. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We are talking, of course, about Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania. You're an interesting man, Scott Lang. You're an Avenger. You have a daughter, but you've lost a lot of time, like me. We can help each other with that. Who are you? I'm the man who can give you the one thing you want. What's that? Time. So according to IMDb, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania is described as Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne, along with Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne, explore the quantum realm where they interact with strange creatures and embark on an adventure that goes beyond the limits of what they thought was possible. 
That says like nothing. Absolutely nothing. Okay. Uh, it was uh, this film was directed by returning Ant Man director Peyton Reed. He's one of the few directors who's held on for multiple entries of their series, right? Like the MCU series. Like usually, with the exception of the Russo brothers, I'm pretty sure no director has done more than two movies with their specific franchise that they're overseeing. So I think, uh, you know, Peyton Reed. You wouldn't think so. All three Ant Man movies. Um, this was written by Jeff Loveless. It is the 31st film released oh, yeah, in the Marvel okay. Cinematic Universe. All right. That's not so bad. So, gentlemen, uh, this is the latest Marvel review. And <laughs> as with every Marvel review we've done on the show for a couple of years, it's always like, well, the trailers are real good. I, I, I didn't think I was going to be interested. The trailer sold me. I saw the movie and eh, to kind of the range all right so that's been the general mcu on this podcast just so listeners know our relationship with the mcu too it's a nah, that was fun to a eh, eh, i guess i saw it daniel bokemper what did you think of ant-man and the wasp quantum mania yeah unlike uh magic mike's last dance this movie doesn't really like stand on its own um without seeing not only the previous ant-man 31 films, movies but let alone 30 movies pretty much like you gotta pick like and that's why sometimes when i feel going into these marvels movies is like well i hope i watch this random series or i hope plus uh I plus watch. you definitely have to see season one of loki for the, this is the one i'm like you really need to have seen season one of loki before you watch this yeah movie. i had not so uh maybe Uh-oh. that's why i felt a little a little wibbly wobbly um going into it because like it there there are moments yeah not spoilers but like the opening sequence of this film uh, well, not the opening sequence, but like the when we get to Scott and Ant Man, he's like going on and making jokes. He's like just released a book, and like all of the jokes that he makes rely on something that has happened in another movie or that has happened in something else, and like they're not really funny without that knowing it. Like, and and that's kind of the 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 weirdness with me is like it it kind of lacks it. It kind of starts to drop the. Like, oh, we have to be relying on the other films a little bit. But there's like a 20-minute stretch where it feels very, very, very parasitic in that way, Um, which is kind of all of them now. Like, it's starting to feel that way. So I don't – I can't really hold this against Quantumania. But um, I think it does give us – like, when we do get into the quantum realm, which is quick. You know, we don't have to wait for it very long. You get very – some pretty unique-looking character creatures. I I like the, like, amoebas and the protozoas and the – whatever they are, these weird like cellular organisms that you get, I think they look quite a bit different and they're like different, but they're like oddly like familiar in that they're, you know, like these weird cellular organisms. And so I think that's kind of nice. Um, But then you start to get the things that kind of just like, it's hard to tell between this and the creatures you see in guardians of the galaxy or any of the Avengers movies, they start to kind of just homogenize a little bit. And then we start getting like things that just look, almost frame for frame, like other movies, not even Marvel movies. Like there is a a sequence that just looks like it was taken straight from Star Wars episode two, attack of the clones, like (laughs) shot for shot. Oh, it's it's funny you say that. uh, Cause I was thinking you were going to say Star Wars episode four, uh, the, a new hope. Cause there's definitely some very strong cantina energy in a very lengthy part of this movie. You, you are, yes, you are absolutely right. By the way, that's a, in my opinion, that's a feature, not a bug. No. And there, there are things that are homages and there are things that, that work and can kind of, meld and adopt that energy and make them their own. But there's a lot of just what feels like redundancy in this movie. And at the same time, uh, I, I would say that like Jonathan majors and we'll, we'll talk about him in a little bit more detail, but he is, he is definitely worthy of playing 
um, the big bad and a very important character. But I think that maybe we're getting so obsessed with like, oh, this is like, because I'm just reading so much that it's like, this is the next Thanos. This is the next big thing. This is the next big thing that we are like grossly overexposing this character. And I think what like Thanos was kind of good with is that you didn't really, I mean, I know he appeared in some capacity in like the Guardians movies and um, things like that, but like he he really didn't see him and you didn't see Josh Brolin Thanos anyway until the Avengers. And like that, I think gave him a little bit more power. I worry that we're going to get so much Kang uh, moving forward that by the time we get to the 2025 like Kang Avengers movie or whenever it comes out, Kang Dynasty, Kang Dynasty, it's not gonna like we're gonna be kind of bored already with the character. And I think it's like there's this obsession with like trying to be like, I don't know, just trying to trying to recapture that Avenger strength. And this is supposed this feels like it's like a teaser for something else. And it is ultimately, and that's what they start to feel like. And I think that just takes away from the individual impact of, you know, at the individual films, I should say, I think it could have been stronger if it didn't have that, that crux working against it. But there were parts that were fun and, and magical um, to some extent, but then there were just others. Like, I'm like, how many of these Marvel movies is going to have a massive like running sequence where there's like, you know, 60 or 70 or a hundred like, soldiers or whatever they are or warriors that are like running at something. And like, that's just in every film now. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like, it's, it's, it's getting boring. It really is getting boring. And I don't know how long we can deny that seeing the same thing over and over and over again is not boring. So I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty ugh, harsh on it, but again, it, it had moments of wonder and whimsy. It's just for the most part, it just felt very redundant and it felt like it didn't, particularly care about itself it was more setting itself up for yeah the next movie something more important and that just that hurts that just feels like a kind of a damn shame yeah. for lack of a better term mm. it, it, what's most uh surprising to me i shouldn't say surprising most disappointing to me mm-hmm. is the uh the ant-man movies i act you know i don't think they're they're not my favorites but i will say they do have the unique distinction of having more comedy bits than the other mcu movies that are like feel like Comedy, comedy, not like the the snarky MCU comedy. Yeah, and <clears throat> Quantum Mania totally ditches it. Like, like it's not like the jokes you said are all self referential. It really doesn't have any of those like really clever comedy no. bits that made the first two really more memorable. So that was pretty disappointing. Yeah, um, I'm uh, showing my hand a little bit. Leron Chapman, what did you think of Ant Man and the Wasp at Quantum Mania? Yeah, um, I feel like. Jonathan Majors can do no wrong for me. He's gonna ha- he's gonna have an exceptional year this year with Creed three coming out like and, two weeks. Um, yeah. and what's the the one that just played at Sundance? That everyone keeps talking about. He's a wrestler, you know the one. Something dreams. Hold Something on. dreams. Yeah. Is he a pro wrestler? He's a pro. It's a very gritty. Looks kind of like the wrestler vibes, yeah. but like you know. Um, but yeah, um, I've heard nothing but exceptional things about his performance in that. Magazine Dreams. Magazine Dreams, yeah. And it's just him in a, what do you call him, one of those, you know, wrestler. He's like a bodybuilder. Bodybuilder. More more specifically. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. so it's kind of a a gritty look at that. But anyway, like, just, I thought the casting of him here was great. And um, he definitely elevates it, you know, when he's on screen. I love seeing him go ham, you um, you know, in and throughout it. Um, but he does bring his kind of Yale drama, you know what I mean? The kind of um, 
that it just feels somewhat like he's from a different movie almost, a better one too. Yeah. You know, like, so, <laughs> yeah. so like everything that came before, I'm like, oh, now the movie's getting serious, but this movie was not serious, you know, like uh, until now. And so, I mean, so it's kind of a, it's like, yeah, he's great, but it does also, it doesn't cohesively kind of go with tonally what I expect from the Ant-Man movies, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, I do think visually, um, normally I'm, I'm, I'm bored by the visual effects in these movies um, as of late, just because they all look the same to yeah. me. And I'm like, everything is- They just, don't even look good half the time. Like, a, exactly. They look like they, they were the VFX came out on the deadline, you know? Yeah. And so here, so here I was surprised by some of the sequences where I was like, visually, I was like, oh, there's some distinction here. There's some, mm -hmm. there's some pops of, of, of visual innovation here and, and creativity with, like you said, some of the characters and some of the, the life form and organisms there. So I did appreciate that. I do think it, it, it looks better than a lot of some of the more recent ones that have come out as of late, but yeah, I just, it just feels again, like a trailer for what's to come. Yeah. And that just, you know, that do, it doesn't in and of itself make a compelling reason to see a movie. You know, like if there's, I get it, there's more and more movies to come. It doesn't give you an excuse not to make an impactful movie that you're watching in the moment. Yeah. And so there, there, there's little moments here and there. But like I said, great, great seeing the, you know, Jonathan, Jonathan Majors really lean into this role in a big way. And I am curious to see what he does with this character moving forward. Um, so if that's the takeaway from it. But in general, the movie on its own merit, on its own terms, I'm just kind of meh. Meh. Well, I'm going to be more positive on an MCU movie at the, okay. at the table. Okay. More only oh so slightly. But also my expectations for this movie were pretty low, I'll be honest. Okay. Um, not because it's an anime movie, just because I could – I mean, the fact that we're talking about how it just feels like a trailer for another movie, I was like, yep, this is, and I like just going into it, I was like, well, yeah, they're introducing Kang. That's the whole reason we're getting this movie. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think it's, and then when you saw the trailers, I was like, I, yeah, they're going for a totally different like angle with Ant-Man and this. And I think the angle partially works. I am genuinely, like I said, very sad that the comedy, you know, uh, the unique kind of flair of comedy from the previous two films wasn't here. I do really enjoy the sort of like family, whimsical family adventures, Swiss family Robinson stranded sort of thing is going on here. I also found it very weird how similar visually it looked to Strange World, which came out last year as a Disney animated <laughs> film. Both Live films, action Strange World. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 I leaned yeah. over. Yeah. About about but there's a lot of similarity. Now, obviously, the, the story is a lot different and whatnot, but there's there were times when I was like shared assets, maybe. <laughs> visually there's a lot more in common than you would expect and also they're both sort of like the family movies mm. where there's dad daughter dad son issues and you know again i i mean i, I think strange world was a superior film if i'm being honest but you know th there's a lot of that i enjoyed the family dynamic um it did come at the cost of you know ant-man i don't feel like i actually learned anything about ant-man in this movie whatsoever i don't think his character really learned anything i don't think he grew like even almost the that movie ends on a really weird joke. He grew a couple times. He grew uh, a few times. Man, a few times. Yeah, but I just didn't. The, the character did not progress. Is, is that the line in the in the last line of his book too? A wise writer once told me that I can't remember what it was, but something about growing. 
It was a it was a very cliched line that yes. keeps getting played out. But yes, they play it in this. They they point back to it several times in the movie. <laughs> yeah. um, I I thought Modoc was funny mostly. Um, I some, some people I've read some people really didn't like it. I thought it was mostly. Pretty I thought funny. that was about as good a translation of Modoc we were going to get to live action. And they found a way to tie it in really cleverly with the first two <laughs> anime movies. I won't spoil what right. it is if you don't know, but it, I was like, oh, cool. That's that's a nice yeah. that's a neat way to tie in something that's not canonical from the comics. So it was a kind of a nice surprise for those yeah. who who are familiar with the character, but it's not like such a big deal that you feel like they're changing anything meaningful, you know. Uh, so I thought that was a nice touch. So those yeah. things are positive, and yeah, I, I'll just say I'm I'm with you. Uh, Jonathan Majors. I don't want to, you know, reiterate too much what's been said, but this guy in my book can do no wrong. Uh, if you're listening to this and you have not seen the last black man uh, in San Francisco, mm. like go watch that movie. Don't go watch it. That was our introduction to him. I think really May- that was his per- breakout. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and that was, was how he got this gig too. Mm-hmm. Like they, they said that basically Kevin Feige had seen him in that movie and told the casting director to reach out to him. Mm. Like, uh, so good eye for talent. <laughs> I want to make him a planet conquering. <laughs> like what, <laughs> what about no offense. Fantastic film, the phenomenal planet film. conquering. It's like multi-dimensional overlord. What about that role? Kevin Feige was like, "Yes, you that's will the destroy one. the that's, cosmos." That's the one. I, <laughs> that's the guy. Got to follow up Josh Brolin somehow. So, but I mean, listen, he brings so much to what uh, could have yeah. been a, a boring character. That I will, I will give it to Marvel. They historically have not always had the best villains overall. I mean, I think we've definitely in the last five years, they've improved on that quite a bit. You know, Killmonger was really good. They Mm -hmm. did a great, surprisingly, I was expecting Thanos to be really boring. They found some ways to make him pretty intriguing and pretty Mm -hmm. engaging. Um, So they've definitely gotten a lot better. And I think, I think they took that feedback. They got an early MCU about the exception of Loki, uh, the the MCU villains being kind of generic or throwaway. And they're putting, a lot of investment in Kang because I know that it's got to be big. And here's the thing, Daniel. I'm not. I, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know where else Jonathan Majors is going to pop up other than Loki season two. But based on what I do know about Kang, and don't ask me what I know because it's confusing as I'll get out. Like I, I expect he's going to pop up a lot, sometimes in very big, um, big appearances, and and other times maybe in very, very, very small appearances. Some version of Kang will probably show up in most upcoming projects. So people might get tired of him. Um, I am not because I had so much fun. I I mean, he's the thing I'll say, I know this is Loki season one, but like he is, it's a radically different version of the character in Loki season one. He plays. That's also a lot of fun, different than the fun he, in this movie, he's the conqueror, you know, he's this evil, like he has no remorse, doesn't care about life and, Mm -hmm. Now, one in Loki is just kind of like a cartoon character, and he does both of them super well. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited for what he's going to do, and I think it does. I mean, his his performance brings this whole movie up a letter grade for me at least, uh, and he he's carrying a lot of the weight. It is kind of funny, though, because they go out of their way to be like, guys, did you know this movie's setting up the next big bad guy? We're going to talk about mm-hmm. how big this guy is for half the movie before. You don't want to see this guy. He's a man. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. He, he's... He's awful. He's the worst. He can be very persuasive, you know. And then finally, when he shows up, he does deliver. But there was a good half of the movie. I was like, can we just stop talking about him? That's and what like, I mean. Yeah, up, the, the overexposure. And that's why, like, you mentioned Modoc. I almost feel like that could have been – he could have, to some extent – he's also the butt of the few jokes that this film has. I feel like he could have done more. Not to say that Jonathan Majors nor Kang shouldn't have been in this film whatsoever. Um, they should have been in some capacity and even a, a – 
pretty important capacity. But like, I just feel like we're getting a tad too much and knowing that it's going to be like two and a half years before mm-hmm. the, 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 Oh no, don't worry. We'll out. see him before that. That's what I mean. And that's we'll what see it, him a lot. Before we will. Then. And it, yeah, I agree with you, Caleb. It's it, it. I would be baffled how people don't get just like tired of him. Also, I, I think that this is where it go though. I, I, I don't think that I think they'll only get tired with him if Jonathan majors gets bored. And I don't, I, this yeah. is a type of character. He can basically do whatever he wants. That's yeah. true. Um, so, I mean, you guys saw the, you guys, did you guys stick, no spoilers, but did you guys stick yes. a rape? You saw, uh-huh. both, you saw yeah. both of the stingers? Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> Daniel. There were two. There were two. You, Just the one. You always stay to the very end, man. Mm-hmm. Um, tell, me, tell me later. Okay, I'll tell you later. Okay. But I'm just saying, like. Which he, one was the first? Though? I saw the first one, Singer. Um, we're going to talk about it off mic. The first ones okay. where we see a lot of Kang. I'll just leave it there. You okay, see a yeah, lot yeah, of okay, Kang yeah, in the, one, in the first one. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm just saying I, I'm in it. I'm glad he's here. I think he delivers. It is just unfortunate that like this movie really just is, feels like a vehicle for Kang. It's not yeah. a, it is not a, really that great of an Ant-Man movie. I like the family aspects, but like, I don't feel like the family actually progresses much by the end mm-hmm. differently than they were from the beginning. Yeah. Um, it really is like all about the lore and, and here's the last thing I'll say. Um, and I think it's, I, I think I'm going to pivot. This is going to tie really well. And I think I want to ask you guys about the state of the MCU. So overall, I, I like this movie. I went in with rock, like very low expectations, knowing exactly what this is. And it delivered on w- what I thought it was going to be. I don't think what it is, is really that mm-hmm. it's not really doing the characters very other than Kang very much, uh, you know, um, service, but it is what it is. And I thought it, it delivered a good version of, of that. And I had fun. Mm-hmm. So it's solid. Not the best, not the worst, just okay. I miss the humor. Um, that said, though, Daniel, you've already alluded to this. I do not think you can watch this movie without having seen Loki season one. Yeah. And I will tell and you. I haven't either. So it's, it's um, I mean, it'll be less confusing. And I will also say I have, after watching this, I went back and watched the scenes that he appears in, which are actually, by the way, spoilers, only the last episode. It's like the very last half of the last episode. But without being too specific, he basically explains, here's Kang, here's the premise for the character of Kang. Mm-hmm. Here's what we do. Here's and here's why it's happening. Um, and that's pretty intriguing. And it may it, it definitely makes the the buildup in this movie make a little more sense because you're like, oh, oh, okay, this is the guy they were talking about in that show, and we understand why he's a big deal already because they've laid that out. But if you didn't see that, it just feels like they're yanking you around, like, oh, this guy's going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. With that said, though, that's a whole TV show sure. on top of two other Ant-Man movies, on top of four other Avengers movies. <laughs> like, I just... Who has the time? I, I, guys, I, I haven't been on the keep up with all the MCU shows, and I... Like there's just it's not because they're not good. Some of them are not good, but um, I I haven't watched uh, finished Ms. Marvel, which I've heard is very good. Um, and uh, I didn't finish. Um, I uh, oh, it was the uh, the Hawkeye show, which I also heard was very good. The thing is, it's like you know, what else is good. Succession, House of the Dragon, Last of Us, not MCU stuff. Yeah, it just seems like they're asking for so much of our time. Yeah, and the. And they're not the delivering and they're not delivering when we come like we're showing up for these movies. Like we're showing up for Ant-Man, we're showing up for, you know, Wakanda, we're showing up for all these different, you know what I mean? Like we're this new phase and it's like but it's it's really not servicing, you know what I mean? Like it's 
the enthusiasm that is is really dwindling over time and I don't feel like they've they've figured out yet what you know to incorporate that same urgency that I think we felt with the er- earlier iterations of these movies I just think that this phase it's, I don't see the you know what I mean like I don't have this compelling like oh it's all building to something great I just feel like I just spent two and a half hours watching something that was just kind of mid. So, mm-hmm. and that's kind of being with each one, even though I've liked some of like, I liked Wakanda forever, the new one more than some people, but even still, I'm like, I'm still getting this, like it's missing a very in, crucial ingredient that was in the other films. And it's I like think the urgency, it's like the urgency. Say. It just, I don't feel like the the you know like every time I see a trailer I'm like oh I got to see what happened next because of the last movie I'm just like this is a slow build up guys like where are we going and it almost feels like they don't know you know so I mean we are getting a two part Avengers movie uh, part one being the King Dynasty in 2025 and part two is Secret Wars in 2026 I don't guys I'm just gonna put it out there yeah, just you wait Laron for <laughs> firstly <those>. we got <laughs> you I, I, as a person who loves superheroes and growing up with superheroes Secret Wars is a super Fun it is. comic. <laughs> is the story of Secret Wars good? No. No, it's not. It's notoriously bad. So that's a very bizarre choice. But you'll get to see uh, superheroes fight, variations of superheroes fight each other. So yay. Just, um, I just I, have one question. How many Kang pop figurines do you think we're going to get? Oh, so many. Like, I mean, There's already got to be at least five. <laughs> oh, so I can't. Well, I guess my point is <laughs> I, I have a hard time. I feel I can feel the fatigue. I mean, Lon, you and I and, and Daniel, yeah, we, we've all, I feel like we've been pretty vocal about our fatigue for a while. Yeah. Especially in the last phase post infinity war. But um, like I'm hearing, I'm hearing people who are generally really into this stuff, like more than me are like starting to be like, eh, yeah, you know, I mean, I went and saw it. It was all right. You know, I don't know where it's going. I think it's the other thing is with, with that first, especially phase one and by extension, that whole first saga, it starts with the Infinity Stones. You get the Avengers. You build up to the Avengers, the first five movies. And once you get to the Avengers, they're like, oh, Thanos is at the end of the at the end of the, the road. So, you know, that inevitably you're building up to some sort of com- uh, confrontation. And, then you know, you kind of pick up that it's the Infinity Gems that kind of tie the thread together. Right. Here it feels like all of these stories feel like they're going in just wildly different directions. Do you guys remember the Eternals? There was a giant creature that started to grow out of the planet Earth that is just frozen and no one has acknowledged it in any of the other movies or TV shows. Yeah. They do feel very divorced from each other. All these movies. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, sorry, Daniel. This whole phase is is out of control. I just want to take it like, like, how long do you think they can keep this up? Um, I mean, when... Each film stops making double the money it took to make. That might start to course correct in a meaningful mm-hmm, way, mm-hmm. Um, but until then, uh, probably not. I, I think realistically, though, and we've had this conversation across multiple <laughs> runs, and I feel like, like, I would say within the next decade, I, I feel like twenty, like, I post what we know, which is another two-part Avengers. I don't think there's any way that I don't think they can after if they make, I'm assuming they're going to make it to secret wars, but I don't even know where you go after you do that storyline anyway. I don't know either. I, I know they have not named like, cause then it's like, well, who's the big, big threat because they're not going to invent one. It's got to be something that exists previously. But even then, how are you going to make that 
relevant and palpable. And the one I think of is like Galactus seems to be the thing that isn't mentioned. Um, even though we've seen him in some capacity and like, I think fantastic four two, um, which we won't. I guess it's technically MCU now, but not actually. MCU. Yeah, yeah. And like, I th- like, but like that, look, you can only have so many biggest and best moments. And I suspect that maybe between infinity and war and Endgame that, that was it. And I think everything we see now is just, I mentioned how even this film feels imitative in not a good way. And so in homage, when you mentioned the cantina thing, I'm like, oh, that's actually like a pleasant homage and I'm here for it. But then when it's like, you know, just redundancy mm-hmm. in the same sequences, the same, you know, th- big, the same three act structure. Yeah. Exactly. And then down just, to like how the fighting is choreographed mm-hmm. even is just like reiterative. And it's like, I, I don't, and that's, it can be okay. In certain to certain extents, you got to have your hallmarks. You got to have your things that you're known for. But like, it's it just feels like it's chasing a dragon that never truly existed or has already died. Well, I'm just thinking, you know, it, the escalation to your point can't continue yeah. forever. And I think we're we're past the the tipping point of Infinity War and Endgame. So it's like what they've been leaning on in the last phase is magic tricks. Like, oh, we got Sam Raimi. To come in, which is awesome, but the movie was still the Sam Raimi parts were great. Yeah, but the rest of the movie was just eh, it's okay. But the parts he had to work against, you're like, mm, it's the same mm-hmm. shit, same shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, we got Professor X in a cameo from X Men. That was a pretty amazing moment. But it's like, okay, well, you, you, you those don't make movies. You get to like. do, you get to. Well, I, they don't make movies, yeah. but also like you only get those magic tricks one time. Yes, and, you know, we're gonna get a Hugh Jackman in a Deadpool movie. See, every time I'm like, ah, I think I'm tired, but then they're like, but we've got. Blade with Mahershala Ali. I'm like, okay, fine. We got Hugh Jackman coming out of retirement. Deadpool. It'll be our first rated R movie. I'm like, okay. I'm still here. <laughs> but also, you, like, th- at a certain point, you run out of those like yeah. things. But you're, you're, you're excited. You Suddenly, your excitement is like reluctance too, right? It's like bookended. Like you're reluctantly excited, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what I hear, and that's I think a lot different than where we were even like five years ago with these films, right? It's like, they're, we're, they're doing to us what they were doing to, to, you know, Magic Mike in the last dance. Like, come on, just one more dance. Yeah. We got, come, come, you, you can do Except it. Except I expect to be teased at a movie about Fair male enough. strippers. Fair I, not I am not a, I, I, as a person who owns a lot of comics and enjoys reading them mostly in like specific like arcs and stories, I would not call myself a comic book guy and, under, and I don't have the, a super nuanced understanding of the history of comic books. Yeah. But, one thing I do know is that comic books, the comic book industry in the nineties imploded yeah. um, largely. And they became over-reliant on events and it feels like the movies are on that same track. Mm. It's like you were, Oh, the freshness is gone. We've run out of ideas. We've pulled all these magic trick, all these rabbits out of our hats. And now we're just getting desperate with these big crossovers that, you know, fan, and that, you know, and again, I'm, they obviously, they all comics did rebound and survive. So I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying it feels like we're slowly moving towards the future of comic book movies is also the same thing that happened to comic books and the mm. industry, um, which has had to, has almost died many times. It's time to to put it. Maybe it's time to, but they won't, but it's maybe it's just time to put it to rest. Like we've exhausted this thing to the point of like, we want it to still have a semblance of good things. Like, and if we keep going and let's just say it stays at this, this level, this is the level of Marvel movies. We're going to get moving forward for the next foreseeable future for every other phase. It's like, was it worth it to keep, stringing it along if you didn't go anywhere new with it 
I don't know. I mean, but I don't. I don't. I, I don't. My movies don't make billions of dollars. So true. Well, clearly um, it resonates. They will one money. Yeah. Or they won't. Or money will mean nothing, Laron, and your films will just be brilliant pieces of art. They will. And they, they not. They, there's no will be. They are. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. My bad. Um, <laughs> I, I'm wondering. <laughs> this just occurred to me, but with all these timeline all this timeline. Oh, I think fans, are, I th- I also think stuff. the mainstream, I actually also think the mainstream is going to actively, I could be wrong. I've been wrong about a lot of things about when I thought people were going to j- jump ship, jump. But I really do think the multiple Kangs is actually going, I don't think they're going to get tired of John the majors. I think they're going to get confused. <laughs> and that's not to sell them short. I'm just saying I get confused reading about the history of Kang as a guy who likes this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just, I, like I was well, talking, I, I ran into a friend of the show, Jason Black, after um, my screening of Ant-Man and the Wasp, and we were talking, and I was like, you saw Loki, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, he's like, it was fine. I won't speak for him, but he's like, so where does this, where does this Kang fall chronologically in relation to Loki? And I was like, oh, it's not the same Kang. He's like, wait, that's a different version? He's like, he's like, yeah. he's like oh my God. <laughs> like, you know, and I just, and again, Jason's a film critic here, very sharp, like, I'm, I just I feel like that is a reaction we're probably gonna like a lot of people are going gonna to have, have yeah. yeah. If you're not like inherently into really in the weeds comic book lore sort of thing, so are people gonna be like super? I feel like within the next five years they're gonna find a roundabout way to get Robert Downey Jr. back to just. Oh play. no no no, he's like coming. A, no, that's what I'm telling you, dude. Secret Wars, Hugh Jackman's there, Tobey Maguire's there, Robert Downey Jr. Mark my words in this podcast. When that movie comes out, that's when the, that's what I'm saying. They're going to play all the cards with all the casting because the whole premise is that you're bringing all these characters together to fight each other. How could it go wrong? Very curious. Yeah. All that said, uh, which is why, by the way, I'm convinced that Hugh Jackman and Deadpool is part of a two movie contract, not a one movie contract. But we'll see. Uh, all right, gentlemen, what letter grade would you give Ant Man and the Wasp, Daniel Bokemper? Um, like a. Uh, I want to change my grade a little bit on the spot, but no, I'll stick with it. I think it's a C for just checking the boxes. Like if you kind of like Marvel movies, you'll selling it really well. You'll it it has good things to look at. It feels it's C for like, but it's like very. I don't know. It doesn't feel like much. I, I think Laurent said it best. It just feels like a teaser for something that isn't. And why do we need a whole film for that? Why couldn't this have been like an hour long? you know, special on Disney plus. I, I don't, it just, it feels like we're, we're, we're lose. The magic is bleeding out of the MCU right now. And I think this film might be, <laughs> just wait until they have an X-Men movie though. And we're all going to, Oh yeah. And then I'll just, yeah, I'll completely it's different, about man. Yeah. I know. Is it though? It, it is. X-Men though. is, it is. Di- I, X-Men's different. X-Men man. and Blade are, are just this different. <laughs> yeah. Me, but yes. Yeah. No, I mean, I say that all to be like, I will absolutely be there for both. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the whatever other ones we we That's thing. we keep up, like, showing up to them. I, we're, you know, we just we're gonna feel like you we're, stop podcasting about them, Caleb. <laughs> That's what we're doing. Yeah, it's our fault. No, just yeah, it's, it's this fault. is on us. It's our fault. We're basically part uh, of the problem. Knock at the cabin, but we're keeping the MCU alive and mm-hmm. yeah, just not making a decision. We're we just indecisive. We're not doing it. We're not <laughs> yeah. gonna kill it. I'm so tired that I have to keep watching these blockbuster movies, but I uh, I gotta see them because I gotta be a part of the conversation. So yeah, uh, there it is. So Daniel's giving it uh, a C mm-hmm. for checking the boxes. Little Ron Chapman. Uh, for Jonathan Majors and for the visuals, I'll give it a C plus. Um, but I have no plans to rewatch it. Yep. 
that's where I'm at. C plus on the money. Um, and, and I liked, I think I liked it a little more than you guys, but I can't in good conscience give this a B because I think a B would mean that like there are certain things about it that are somewhat exceptional. Jonathan Majors is pretty exceptional, but I do think like the script otherwise is pretty meh. Yeah. And again, it just it doesn't have what you would expect from an Ant-Man movie based on the first two movies. And I do think that is a huge loss yeah. to Ant-Man. Shout out to the sequence where he morphs into multiple oh, ants. That was great. That was a really cool scene. But that's what I'm saying. That's where I was like, visually, this is interesting and it's different from something I've seen them do. You know, Well, and, they're getting into the weird, trippy sci-fi like ideas. And I'm like, yeah, let's do that. Like lean into that stuff a lot yeah. more. I'm down. Get, you know, that, that's when you hire Christopher Nolan finally to come yeah. in here and you make a trippy sci-fi uh, MC movie. It's only a matter of time. Christopher yeah. Nolan's Deadpool 4. Oh man! Oh man! <laughs> oh man! Uh, yeah. So I'm also gonna go C plus. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you so much for joining us to talk about uh, the winter of 2023. Uh, it's been a pleasure. So again, you now listeners, you have our thoughts on Knock at the Cabin, Magic Mike's Last Dance, and Ant Man: Quantum Mania. A threesome of movies that I was initially like, this might be a pretty good winter. And I walked away saying it was a pretty okay winter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Winter came. <laughs> what did come? Ned Stark was right. Yeah, he, he was. <laughs> it, it was there. It, was yeah, there, it is yeah. what it is. Um, gentlemen, where can listeners keep up with you and your work online if they want to hear more of your thoughts on the movies? Daniel Bokemper. Yeah, well, first of all, on this very podcast, but also um, the cinematropolis.com, uh, we have a written portion of the website as well. While you're going through your um, uh, 2023 film journey, uh, I happened to write a primer uh, for films in 2023. I didn't have everything, didn't have everything, but we hit a lot. We hit a lot, especially the blockbusters. You also um, wrote that before Sundance happened. That's I the, did, yeah. I know. I, it's, oh, it's, it's tough though. I it's tough though because you want to rewrite it. Well, when it comes to like the non-studio <laughs> movies, it is really hard to know what's going to be a big yeah. hit in like, you know, the fall, for example. Yeah, but- the, the 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 big blockbusters that people will be talking about, some of the other ones that may be sleeper hits, um, you'll find on there. Also, uh, I mentioned uh, you can find me on Flick Attack, a uh, little bit shorter form reviews, but you'll see me. Um, of course, you can catch my review of Infinity Pool on FlickAttack.com. Uh, but also uh, my uh, Knock at the Cabin review is up there as well. So if you want more of my thoughts on that, uh, finally, uh, I would I would push people more beyond these places. Starting to use letterbox a little bit more. I feel like a little letterbox toddler, not knowing how everything works and uh, writing what I need to and wanting my re- life changer, Daniel. It is. It truly is. And I'm seeing that now. Um, but I will say, uh, Daniel Bo Camper, letterbox, just spell it out and you'll find me. Um, I'd be happy to engage in some conversations with with any listener. You'd um, like to. I, I need to go check out your profile this year, top four. There's Can't not wait. much. I don't even know how to do that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> We're going to have a talk. We'll I talk. know. We we'll need talk. to. <laughs> Laurent Chapman, where can people keep up with you online? Uh, you can follow me on Facebook under my name, Laurent Chapman, or you can follow my uh, Letterbox film reviews on under, black underscore cinna underscore man. And I think pretty soon you'll start seeing these reviews on the Cinematropolis. So. Stay tuned, listeners. Got some cool stuff coming this year. Uh, you can also find uh, all the things we do here um, at the Cinematic Schematic at thecinematropolis.com. You can find me uh, tweeting about things, uh, actually tweeting quite a bit less these days. I'm, I'm turning her down. Apps deleted again. 
limiting that screen time. But when I am tweeting, I'm tweeting about usually uh, films, television, and video games. Uh, you can find that at C Masters Talk. That is the letter C Masters Talk. Coincidentally, you can find me at the same handle on Instagram and most importantly, Letterboxed. Didn't it? I don't know if you know this, listeners. Letterboxd is the place to be if you love movies. Check it out. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. Daniel, Ron, thank you for taking time out of your recording us on a Sunday evening, your Sunday evening to talk movies. Cutting into Last of Us. Shh. All right, listeners, uh, join us again in our next episode when we'll be doing our Oscar 2023 predictions. <laughs>